0: Hundreds of years ago, the greatest minds of the church gathered to ask, what are the most important things we need to know about God and life? And then they sought to answer those questions. And whenever a group of the greatest minds come together, you should probably Listen and wrestle with what they have to say, even if you don't agree with it. And the first question that they ask, and by the way, when great minds gather, listen closely to the first question. The first question they ask in what is called the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is our defining purpose? Why are we here? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Another way you could say it is glorify God by enjoying him forever. Now, the reality is when I will tell people this, they push back a bit and they say, I don't understand why God needs me to glorify him. I mean, just the idea of my very existence is here so that I will glorify God doesn't really sit well with me, people might say. Um, Is God a narcissistic megalomaniac in asking us to glorify him all of the time? And if you are thinking that and if you are feeling that, you don't understand his glory. To stand in a room of his glory is to stand in joy itself, peace itself, beauty, justice, magnificence. That's the room of his glory. And there's no one like him. If you take every sunrise, every sunset, the glory of the highest peaked mountain in the deepest parts of the ocean, and you take everything beautiful that has ever been created... Every song, every piece of art, every bird song, anything that has, that has just felt beautiful, you take it all, you take the far reaches of the cosmos and take the stars that are burning and you take all of that stuff and you put it in one room. It doesn't even come close to the glory that he holds, Christ Christ. And every single one of you and every soul that walks this earth is longing, craving to get in that room, whether they know it or not. Every bit of running that they do, every bit of desiring that they do is for that room. And so you see now that when God wants his glory to cover the earth, it is for your good. And it's for your joy. And it's the thing that you crave most. And it's the most loving thing that he can do to say, Glorify my name. We're in this series called Our Hearts Burn Within. And it's coming from the book of Acts. Luke is the, it's coming from Luke actually, this this phrase. Luke writes, The Gospel of Luke and Acts. And there's this part where the disciples, after Jesus has died, there's these two disciples. And they're walking down this road to Emmaus. And this mysterious figure joins them on this road. And then he starts talking about the scriptures all the way back from the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis. And he unpacks it and he shows how every little bit that was written is all pointing forward to the Christ. And then these disciples realize who it is later on. And so they look back at this moment when they're on the road with him. And they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? Now, what happened to them on that road? They saw his glory. like They peered into it. And it overwhelmed them. And it caused their hearts within them to burn. Today... We're talking about something even greater than that that's given. So the disciples, their hearts are burning, and then we move into Acts, and then we arrive today at Pentecost. Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit. The presence of, okay, take all the glory in the room, this glorious room that I talked about, where you take the mountains and the rivers and the valleys and the far reaches of the stars and all the beauty, and you put it in one room. And then you you find out at Pentecost that the glory in that room now dwells in every single Christian. That's Pentecost. This is wild. Here's Acts 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together, they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not these who are speaking Galileans? It, what they mean by this is that it's, it's like Americans, like we really only know English. We're not forced to learn other languages. That's kind of what they mean by Galileans. And so they say, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Emolites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, when we think of the word Pentecost in Acts, it's actually a second Pentecost. Look what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were already gathering together for Pentecost. So Pentecost was like this holiday uh, celebration for first, the first fruits. In other words, it's harvest time. Springtime is here. Life is here. This resurrection thing is happening around us. And Pentecost, the word means 50. Signifying 50 days after Passover. Okay, come back to me. Here, what is Passover? Because if we're gonna, we're gonna look at what's 50 days after Passover, we need to know what Passover is. So here's Passover. God's people are living well in this land in Egypt. And then an evil king, Pharaoh, is, rises up to power. And he is, enslaves God's people. But then at the same time, then God is raising up another leader named Moses. And Moses goes to this evil king and he says, you need to let us go so we can go and worship God. And Pharaoh says, no. Now lesson here, whenever someone stands in the way of God's people worshiping him, God gets a little bit angry about it. And so these plagues like are rained down upon Egypt, but this Pharaoh is stubborn. And so finally the last plague comes, the angel of death begins to seek out the firstborn. Now, okay, this is a problem, not just for Egypt, but for the Israelites as well, because, well, they're sinners. And so God says, here's the solution. Take a lamb and slaughter it, and smear its blood over the doorpost. And you're like, well, hey, that's weird. And it is weird for us, but in the the ancient Near East, that was a very normal thing. And so God always speaks into the culture he's speaking into. So they smear this blood on the doorpost, and the angel of death passes over God's people. And it causes such a disturbance. It's this inciting incident that allows God's people to get out. They're free. Okay, that's the Passover. Now, 50 days after that is Pentecost. What happens about 50 days after Passover. Well, Moses goes up on the top of Mount Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments. All right, here's the significance here. When Moses is up there, it talks about this, this shaking of the mountain and this fire that's happening from up. Like the, the mountain is smoking and there's this terrible sound of rushing wind. Now, didn't we just read about something like that? Oh, I think we did. Okay, here's, so here's what I want you to see. This is what's happening to the the disciples is like a second Pentecost. When God's glory and presence showed on Mount Sinai, God's people trembled in fear. But look, they did not want to go up that mountain. God's people, when 10 commandments are given, they're fearing God so much that they want to stay back. And they send Moses up and they say, Moses, you tell us what God has to say. And so what Moses begins to do is act as a middleman. He starts to begin to act as a mediator. Now, what I want you to see is that the disciples have just become like a new Moses. They're surrounded by this terrible wind. Tongues of fire start appearing on their head like there's a significance there behind that imagery. And then Jesus, by the way, has just told the disciples, I want you to go out and be witnesses to me in my glory. They have just become the new Moseses. Not sent down the mountain to tell the Israelites, but sent out to cover the whole earth. Don't get distracted by the miracle for right now. Just focus on the purpose of what's happening. They are becoming something greater than Moses. While Moses was surrounded by the presence of God up on the mountain, Pentecost means That now the glory that was on that mountain is now dwelling inside of the disciples. The magnificence of God dwelling in them. And not just them, you. This is the truth. This is what is true for every single Christian. You say, How amazing, how wonderful, how impossible, yet it's true. What are you supposed to do with your life now? This is the glory of God dwelling in you. How are you going to live the rest of your life with this truth? Well, Pentecost is telling us. So I want to take you through this journey for the rest of our time of what you should now do, how you should now live since this is true. First, it means you're a priestly mediator. So, what's a priest? A priest goes into the presence of God on behalf of the people. They're like a link between heaven and earth, a bridge between two worlds. There's this place where Moses is pleading with God to forgive the sins of the people. They're just being rebellious, and they just don't care. And so Moses says, God, I will sacrifice myself for them. Please just save them. And because Moses did this, God Let's his people be saved. Now, did God know that Moses was going to do it and all this? Well, yeah, but that's a whole other sermon. This is what good mediators do they sacrifice for others, and they become a conduit of God's glory passing from heaven into the earth. You have a responsibility to bring the things of heaven to the earth. You're a conduit for that. The glory of God dwells in you. You can't waste this anymore. You can't waste your life. So you hold your hand out to the world and out to God and become the link between God and man. And you do, you know where you do this? You do this in your home. God's glory is meant to dwell in your home. Is it dwelling in your home? It's dwelling in you. So the question becomes, why is his glory not... Just like everywhere in your home, in your neighborhoods, in your workplace. Because your soul within you is beating to become that mediator. Like like the Holy Spirit's bugging you a bit about it. So that's the first thing. Second is you become a prophet like Moses. What does the prophet do? Goes up to the top of the mountain like Moses and brings God's word down to the people. What are you doing? You're going up to the top of the mountain of God's presence. You're opening up his word and you're in prayer and you're discovering his glories and his excellencies. And they're like bouncing around in you like this room of glory. And you come down the mountain and it's like your face is shining and it's unveiled for the world around you to see because you've made this excellent discovery of who God is. And if you don't believe me about you being a prophet, bring God's word to people. Well, look at this. People, starts, people started questioning what was going on. Like, how are they speaking in other languages? And so the, the people's answer is they must be drunk. And Peter says, we are not drunk. It's 9 a.m. He says, what's going on right here is what's already been told to you would happen. It's back in Joel. Here, here it is. It's not in our verses. A little bit further, you could read if you wanted to do that. A few verses after our verses, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Now, I wanna be careful here because like, we're boiling it down to like, its raw nature of what it means to be a priest. To, to be a priest, it's like you're praying for people that are outside of the church that don't know God. Like That's a priest. A prophet is just simply bringing God's word to God's people into the world. So if you're a Christian, you are now a mouthpiece of God. And God's word is written on the tablet of your heart and that tablet of your heart is burning. And it burns for you to spit that same fire out into the world around you and cause a wildfire. And notice this. It says the fire was divided among them so it's one flame meaning it's one truth it's the same message that each of them are to proclaim what's the message what's this fiery truth it's that there is a new exodus that there is a second passover that Christ is the new Passover lamb who was slaughtered, whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins so that death might pass us over. It's a second exodus where we are now free. We walk in freedom. Like, we're gonna keep sinning, but we're free from that sin. We're free to go try things and make mistakes and say, sorry, God, I'm, I'm like, I'm living for your glory, though. And the Holy Spirit is constantly nudging you, pushing you, maybe even shoving you to tell the world your story of how you have been swept up in to the second Exodus, to the second Passover. And look, I know what people say about Christians. They hate that we can't just let people be with their beliefs. Like our culture has infused into your mind that you keep your faith to yourself. And our faith is telling us you may not do that. This faith must be shared. Christians have developed this reputation of really invading people's personal space. Like that's not what we talk about here type of thing. Now, in the past, this was more acceptable. You know, like in Bible times, there were street preachers, there were street philosophers, there were street storytellers. It was common, but the culture that we live in today, we don't see that. And so, okay, what does that mean if we really are prophets, which I know you're pushing back. You're like, no, I'm not really that. You are. I promise you it's here. Don't argue with God's word. And so if this is true, then that means you have to learn to speak into the culture that you're in. The same way that these disciples, you know what was happening? They were speaking other languages that they didn't know how to do that. All right. At its, like it's, at, it's raw at its core. What does it mean? Well, it means that you have to learn to speak the language of the culture that you are in so that people might hear what you say and believe. So the same way the disciples spoke other languages, you have to get into the world and not say, world, come to me. I have this truth and my hand is up and I'm ready to tell you all about it. If you will, just come and talk to me about it. No, no, no. That's not what a priest does. A priest is like pursues people. A shepherd pursues people. And so you go into the world and you learn to speak the language of the world around you. You learn to navigate the cultural climate that you're in, and you're wise, and the Holy Spirit will help you do it. Now, if you are thinking, yeah, but if every Christian has the Holy Spirit, David, tell me why there are some Christians that seem to be so annoying when they're sharing their faith. And you guys know it's true. Like, there are people, like, you should share your faith, right? But then there keeps being people who are just, you listen to them and you're like, why are you being so annoying? I don't even know why you're being annoying. I just know that you are. And, the, and, and here's my thought, and I could be wrong, but I, ha- I have a hunch that that's not the leading of the spirit, that is the leading of guilt and shame where people are told you must share your faith and you're like, oh gosh, well, I gotta go share my faith and I'm gonna be a real Christian because I wanna fit in with all the other Christians and I wanna be seen as awesome and maybe God will love me more if I go and do this. And so people charge out to say, here's what you need to know about Jesus. It's, it's not that what they're doing is wrong, it's the motive behind what they're doing is wrong and so you see through the motive and you're just like, you got this disgusting feeling because they're not being pure in heart. It's this thing that we keep doing where we keep trying to earn a salvation that's already been given to us. We're trying to prove to people around us that we're cool, we're awesome, like, let's be cool Christians, and cool Christians do this. And now cool Christians don't do this because, well, we're getting in people's space and we've kind of done it all wrong. And so now we're just not going to say anything. Well, maybe let's just do this. Let's just listen to the Bible and just walk out with pure hearts and just ask for God's help as we're trying to do what he's telling us to do. Laws of heaven, and he's commanding them to be followed on the earth. This is like setting up a whole new government. This is kingly type stuff. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount takes the Ten Commandments and puts it on steroids. Now, if you want to sum it all up, what do the Ten Commandments say? Well, the first four say, love God, the last six say, Love others. Now, put it on steroids on the Sermon on the Mount, and then l- let's, let's say it this way. Instead of love God, love others, this might be a better way to say it for, for the, what we're saying right now. Be like Christ. Now, Christ is our Savior, 100%, but He is our example. And our only strength to do what he's called us to do is by seeing him as a savior first and then a king to follow second. And so what he's just done, what Jesus is doing is he's setting up a new ethic, a new way to live. And if we're saying, let's be like Christ, then what it means is we need to incarnate, meaning we need to get into the world. He left heaven and came into our world. So what do we do? We go into other people's worlds. And we speak their language to them with the ethic of the kingdom. And we begin washing people's feet, metaphorically speaking, which means you're sacrificial and you're humble. You're a king who bows down to people. Like you're remembering who you are. You're a son or daughter of the living God. Like, that gives you so much dignity. Do not forget who you are. Yet at the same time, the Savior King that you follow washes people's feet. So you live like that. Because that's the ethic of the kingdom. And you live with love. And you live with something else that I think is becoming a little too rare. You live with resurrection life. Meaning you have joy. Because the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. The glory of God dwells in you. And if glory gives you joy and then you are surrounded by it and it's in you, well, then you have joy no matter the sorrow. Like the the dark sorrowful cloud is like swarming you, but you have this light of joy about you. And it's like the sorrow can't get in. It doesn't mean you don't have sorrow. It means the light keeps overwhelming the sorrow. All right. Well, how do you get people to become like that? how do you get yourself to become like that? And the answer is by the gospel. It's here. The gospel is what changes you. We aren't interested here in behavior modification. We're interested in heart transportation, meaning your heart now dwells in heaven though you live on the earth. And as kings of heaven dwelling on the earth, you're under the greater king, right? You're under the greater king, Christ. What are you going to do? Like, that's authority and that's power. Like, would you say your life is a life that has power in it? Like, there's a strength about you. Would your friends say that about you? Would your family say that about you? And where do you get that power? Well, it's faith. Faith is where power comes from, and the Holy Spirit gives you that faith. To speak about having authority and power has very little to do with like a, like a commanding presence. It has everything to do with your faith in the words that you are speaking. So there are some amazing preachers. Absolutely amazing. They are logical They're passionate and emotional, and they're practical. And there's various types of preachers who are all amazing. And then there's the kind of preachers that are really bad. But they're changing lives more than the really good preachers. Why? Well, because of the strength of conviction of what they're saying, they're not eloquent but you could just tell they believe what they're saying. My prayer is that we would become like that. That we would stop worrying like, oh, I don't know how to share my faith. I don't have the eloquence. I don't know what to do. Yeah, but you believe these things. So trust trust that. And as you do that, you will be accomplishing your purpose which is to glorify God. And the proof that you're doing it is unity in the church. Yeah, like, well that was a weird transition. Well, let's go back. You know the story of the Tower of Babel? So, what was going on there is God not God's people, the people of the world united. They all were speaking one language and they united and they said, "Let's build our way up to heaven." Well, what does that mean? Well, they're trying to take heaven over in a way. They're trying to take the throne of God, tyranny. Like, this is the same thing you and I do all the time. And what God does then is He confuses their language so they might have disunity and be spread out and lose all the power that they had and all the unity they had. Well, Pentecost is a reversal of that. You think, well, why would God do that? Isn't God worried we're going to do the same thing again? Well, Not if we really get a picture of his glory. Because if we're standing in the room of glory, then we're in complete joy, satisfaction, peace, love. There's nothing else that you want. Why is there disunity? Because somebody has something that I want. Somebody's threatening something that I want. But when you have everything that you need in Christ and everyone has everything that they need, you say, well, I don't need a crown because I have a greater king. And by laying down our desire to have a crown, his glory then is shown to us. And we say, This is way better. Way better than any kingdom that I could build. This is a kingdom that cannot be shaken right now. And then we hold each other like we're brothers, we're sisters. The church today has never been more divided. And if the Holy Spirit is what unifies us, then that means we need a fresh pouring out of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to every Christian, but sometimes there is a fresh pouring out. Hmm. So Acts 6, 3 and 5, talk about that. Acts 7, 55 and Acts 11, 24. How can this happen? Well, if you want a fresh pouring out of the spirit, I suppose one of the best things you could do is go up to the mountain and have some time with God. You open up his word. And you don't open it like, I need to read this. You open it like, God, I want you. I want to see your glory. I want to taste it. I want to hear it. And I want to know it deep within me. And you're begging God to show Himself, to reveal who He is to you, to have some type of encounter with Him, something that feels too mysterious to even describe. And and the other thing, you know, here's what I think is keeping you from up on the mountain I think it's your fear. I think you are terrified. That if you gave God all of you, he wouldn't give you the life that you think he should. I think you don't really believe that he knows what's best for you. You have what you want. He has what you need and you don't want what you need. You want what you want because we all do the things that we want. There's a complete giving over to him. Like a trust that's like, I'm yours. And that's, the, that's when you find yourself in the room of glory. If your life feels stale, you can't be in the room of glory. You're somewhere else. If your life feels boring, you're, you're, you're not in that room of glory, you're somewhere else. If you feel weak, you're not in the room of glory, you're somewhere else. If you lack joy, if you lack peace, you're not in that room. And fear is keeping you from going up to the top of that mountain. And so what you have to do when that's happening is you have to remember who he is. Like, to get you up the mountain, you have to keep telling yourself who Jesus is. And what do you tell yourself? Well, he's the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He's the priest right now. Like, right now, he's being a priest to you. He's up in the heavens. And you know what? He's telling the Father something about you. Do you know what he's saying about you? He, she, they're mine and I'm theirs and he's telling that to the father saying like we own them and they they're part of this whole thing that we've got going here with the father son and spirit there's this trinitarian dance of glory where they're each working to glorify the other and then the holy spirit well guess where the holy spirit is now dwelling within you The Holy Spirit then wants to glorify the Son and the the Father. And so within you is this desire to glorify them. And then you get swept up in this grand Trinitarian dance with God. That's living. And so Jesus is telling the Father, that's who they are. They're the ones who dance with us. And he's the prophet. The word made flesh who dwells among us. And on the cross, the word was silenced. And he enters into death. He's swallowed up by it. And there, inside of death, he speaks again. He speaks a life. And he bursts up out of death and lays death in its own silent grave. And he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he humbled himself. He laid down his crown and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of that, the Father has exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. And he's given you the gift of spirit, which holds the glory of God in you. And you know what he's doing? He's got the room open the room of glory open and he's saying, come in. You walk into that room, you fear nothing, not even death. You walk into that room and you don't care how uneloquent you sound when you start sharing what you believe and you tell your story of how you've been swept up into this new exodus and Passover. Man, you stand in that room and you live different. You come out glowing. You know what Moses said on the top of the mountain? He wore a veil when he came down to cover up the glory of God because it was too much for the people. And you know what? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We now with unveiled face, behold the glory of God, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Do you know what that means? everything in your life that transforms you like real transformation, it's because of his glory. It means his glory is the answer to every problem in the world. And so your prayer has come. And your prayer is, let me be in that room of glory. It's everything I want, everything I desire. Just let me in, God, let me in, please let me in. Take away my fear and let me just walk in. God, we have heard the door click open. And we see it's, it's the light in that room. And I pray that every single one in this room would step into the light of your glory and finally find the peace and the joy and the strength, the beauty that we've been searching for. And Holy Spirit, I pray that when we're trying to run away from that, I pray that you would be stubborn with us and you would take us to the place we don't want to go but need to go. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at grovechurchpsl, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.